Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder and executive director of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. Well, in the week before Palm Sunday, there was a whole lot that was happening. It wasn't as if everything sort of started then. There was a whole lot leading up to it. And the Gospels give us various vignettes, little glimpses into what was going on. There had been an escalation of hostility toward Jesus on the part of the religious leaders for quite some time. There had been at least two previous attempts on Jesus' life where literally groups of people tried to kill him. Now, he had a huge following of people who thought he was great, but there were others who would on occasion get very upset with things that Jesus said. And so on two occasions prior to the crucifixion, there were times when people tried to kill him. But the real opposition, the growing opposition, was from the most religious people in the culture, those who were religious professionals. And their determination was really growing leading up to Holy Week. And one of the final events that actually brought some things to a head, brought their murderous plan to a sharper point, is the amazing story of Lazarus. So I'm going to ask you to please open your Bibles to John chapter 11, and we're going to look at this together. It should be surprising to us that this event would cause people to want to kill Jesus. What did he do that was so dreadful? John chapter 11, this is God's word. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, The one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he'd said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. 
So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, he went out to me- she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know we will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could, he who opened, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you? that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Then Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here's this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas 
who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. Now, if you look ahead into chapter 12, verses 9 through 11, Jesus goes to a dinner party at Lazarus' house. And chapter 12, verses 9 through 11, listen. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. When I look at this, I'm thinking, well, this is just nuts. I mean, a man dies, Jesus brings him back to life, and because this leads some to the obvious conclusion that this is the Messiah we've been waiting for, this is the King that God promised, this is the Savior that God promised, this man is Lord. Because they reached that obvious conclusion, those who are in positions of power wanted to kill Jesus. They didn't dispute the fact that he had raised Lazarus to life. But they decided, you know what we need to do strategically? I mean, given the risk factor here, we've got to kill Jesus, and while we're at it, we better kill Lazarus too. Why? Well, because he was brought back to life. And so you're going to kill him and you're going to kill the one who's obviously demonstrated that he's stronger than death. Does that, I mean, somebody needs to explain something to these folks. Said it before, I'll say it again. Sin is ultimately crazy. It's insane. The creator of the universe designed us, knows what's best for us, says do this and live, do this and die. And we say, "Ah, well, I don't know, this looks good. That was how Adam and Eve got in trouble, remember? And we look back at that and we say, boy, that was stupid. And then we go out and do the same thing. 
over and over and over, choosing evil, choosing disobedience, choosing to do that which God has said not to do because, eh, I don't know, maybe it'll work this time. What's the old secular saying? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. But that's really what sin is like. It's not as if history isn't filled with examples for us. It's not as if our history isn't filled with examples for us. I do a lot of counseling. I've met with, I suppose, thousands of people over the years who were struggling with various things. I've never had one come talk to me and say, you know, my, my, I think my problem is I've been, I've been obeying the Lord too much. Never. Well, what I've heard over and over and over and over and over and over and over is I knew I shouldn't do this. I did it anyway. And now I've got a mess. And I tried to fix it by doing something else that I knew wasn't right, but I thought it would get me out of the situation, and it only made it worse. Or I knew that I was supposed to do this, but I didn't do it, and now I wish, like anything, that I could go back and do what I know I should have done. But, but I, 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 can't, I can't undo the past. What do I do going forward? We read these stories, and we think, Stupid people. But the problem is, what they have in common with us is human nature. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can know it? Our problem is deep inside us. Pastor, are you saying that people are not fearfully and wonderfully made? No, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. But we've got a problem deep inside. Okay? I said the religious people did not doubt that the miracles were happening. They talked about the miracles happening. Okay? That wasn't their problem. They weren't saying, you know, these people are starting to be convinced that this man's doing miracles, and we just don't think that's really happening. No, that wasn't it. Their problem was, this guy keeps doing miracles. He's doing amazing things. He's healing people. Now he's even brought back a guy from the dead. And Jesus, by the way, had already brought someone else back from the dead. Remember the son of the widow of Nain? But this time with Lazarus, I mean, this was too well known. Too many people saw it, and and they were just frantic to try and stop it. They didn't doubt the miracles, but they didn't care about the truth. Last week we talked about, do you want to know the truth? These folks essentially knew the truth and didn't care. Think about it. Herod, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, wanted to find out from the scholars, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Herod didn't doubt that Jesus was the Messiah, that a baby had been born who is the Messiah. Herod didn't doubt that. He just wanted to find out where he was so he could kill him. Because he could not stand the idea of having a rival ruler. And Jesus 
most definitely is a rival ruler. Herod wanted to kill him. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priest wanted him dead. Think of the way this chief priest spoke. And this was actually something from God. Even though the man was wicked, what he was saying was true, although he didn't understand it. He said, verse 49, Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up, You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He says, our whole way of life, our nationhood is going to be destroyed if we let this man go on. We've got to get rid of him. It's essential. You've got to understand this. We've got to do whatever it takes. It doesn't matter about the truth. It doesn't matter about God. What matters is our preserving our kingdom and our power. No wonder when Jesus actually would rise from the dead and the chief priest finds out what has happened because the guards come to report. The chief priests do not repent. Instead, they pay off the guards to go and say that the body was stolen while they slept. This is the problem, the sinful human heart. No one loves sinners more than Jesus. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But don't be mistaken, because while he came to save sinners, no one takes sin more seriously than Jesus. Jesus says, if your eye is causing you problems, leading you into sin, get rid of your eye. If your hand is causing you to do things that are sinful, cut off your hand. Well, I'm sorry, I've got another eye, and it has the same tendencies. I've got another hand, and it wants to do the same stuff. Where is all this coming from? It's the heart. The heart is deceitfully wicked. When it speaks of our hearts being sinful, we're not talking about the thing that pumps blood. We're talking about the deepest part of us. Who we are down deep inside. That's where the problem is. And that's why Jesus said we need a new heart. You must be born again. That's the only hope. That's the only hope. And I can't do that to myself. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. So what do I do? I cry out to God and say, have mercy on me. Change me. Save me. Make me new. Give me new life. And you know what? He does. He does. He promised he would, and he always keeps his promises. He changes us. When I was a little kid, we used to sing a chorus said, things are different now. Something happened to me when I gave my life to Jesus. Things are different now. I was changed, it must be, when I gave my heart to him. Things I loved before have passed away. Things I love far more have come to stay. 
Things are different now. Something happened to me when I gave my heart to him. Let me tell you something. I have not arrived. I am not perfect experientially. But in Christ Jesus, I am not only declared righteous, but I am a work in progress. I am not sinless, but I sin less than I used to. God is working in me and in all of you who are his children, who have put your trust in his grace, who have asked him to save you. We haven't finished the race yet, but Paul says in the letter to the Philippians, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Does that describe you? Is that what you want? If you're wistfully looking at sin and thinking, man, I wish I could do that, something's wrong. But if you're looking at sin and saying, oh God, how could I have been so stupid? Please deliver me. I don't want to do that again. That's evidence that you've got a new heart. That's evidence that God is at work in you. Paul says in Romans 12, I plead with you, brothers. I plead with you in light of God's mercy to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's intelligent worship. And don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. It's going to try. Every day there are pressures for us to conform to this world system. Don't give in. Instead, we are to be being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can demonstrate that God's will for us is good and acceptable and perfect. You and I, when we're born again, are taken out of one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, and brought into a new kingdom, the kingdom of light. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 is one of many places that describes this so beautifully. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's what he did for us. That's why he came. It wasn't just so that we would be forgiven. It was so that we would come out of this kingdom, this dominion, and be brought into this kingdom. Jesus says in John chapter 3, you must be born again. Why? In order to enter the kingdom of God. The reason we need a new heart, the reason we need new birth, the reason we need to start over is because we were part of a kingdom that was hostile toward God. Confronted with the truth, that kingdom prefers the lie. Jesus says, in John chapter 3. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and men preferred the darkness because their deeds were evil. See, that's our problem. It's not, well, I just don't know what to do. The problem is, as much as we do know, we resist. They heard the sound of God walking in the garden and they ran and hid themselves. They didn't run to him and say, oh God, forgive me, I've messed up. They tried to hide from God. That's what's happening here. That's what's going to result in what happens during Holy Week. 
They wanted to get rid of the king. They didn't doubt. They just hated the truth. But Jesus Christ is Lord. And the kingdom is here. And it's spreading throughout the earth. And lives are being changed. Families are being changed. And cultures are being changed. And in the midst of it all, you and I are called to shine like lights in the darkness. Jesus Christ is Lord. Repent and believe the good news. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE or contact us on the web at wvr.org.